you Yeah, yo There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here by that I'm behind you But always got you, end the discussion, nothing means more First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a partake Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, I know, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them, along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hopping down, cause feeling's not an option, and dad is not a noun, not at all. justice that we deserve for 11 years now. I didn't get the opportunity to see Oscar evolve into the person that he could have evolved into because his life was cut short. My name is Keith Ismail, center for the Washington football team. I chose the name Oscar Grant to put on the back of my helmet. He was a member of my community back in Oakland, California, where I grew up. His incident back in 2009 directly affected me and my community. I felt like it was my duty to remember his name as a fellow member of the community I grew up in, Oakland, California. I knew Oscar Grant as a father, a brother, a son. He was an upstanding man in the community. He had family that depended on him, family that loved him, people that, that counted on him. He was a member of our community and he had a lot of life to live. Oscar's situation ended tragically. The officer ended up pulling out his gun instead of what he claims he thought was his taser. Shot Oscar in the back and he lost his life because of it. He was unarmed and being detained. His hands were behind his back in handcuffs. Nobody should have lost their life that night. I grew up a couple blocks from Fruitvale Station. You know, I, I took that route. Uh, I've been to that station. I've been around the people that he was around. You know, we're all in it together. And so it was definitely hard. It was hard for a lot of us. You know, we just all kind of support each other. And especially when something tragic like this happens, there was an outpour of support and also outrage by people that didn't even know Oscar or his family. But it was just the fact that, you know, a member of our community you know, one of our own, one of our brothers, his life was took. His name is still spoken, everybody remembers. He's never forgotten, at least in our community. Definitely impacted the way that we pass legislation and look at our policing system and how we can do things better within our own community, our own backyard. Say his name, Oscar Grant. Welcome, everyone. My name is Ishmael from Dad Is Not A Now, changing the narrative for men of color and fatherhood and changing the narrative about the things I care about. On this episode, I care about getting justice for Oscar Grant. And I'm truly privileged and honored to have his mother on the show, Reverend Wanda Johnson, who's been fighting for 13 years to get justice for her son. How are you doing? Happy birthday. How's your heart at this moment? 
Um, thank you for having me on the show. Um, my heart is uh, still broken, but I have a fight in me. Um, definitely to ensure that justice is served for my son. Oftentimes, uh, society and policing and the courthouse think that we forget about our young men when in fact we have to continue to fight for them. And as Oscar's mother, I'll continue to fight for him, you know, as long as I live. And you have, and you've been like a beacon of light for a lot of uh, parents that's going through the same thing you're going through, unfortunately, but that's our reality. Um, but let's go to the beginning. Um, let's go back to that day. Um, it's your birthday. Um, take me to that, that time. So December 31st is my birthday. And I was uh, at my mother and father's house um, going to cook gumbo as I usually do for the New Year's. And so Oscar called and he was asking, you know, did I need anything? So I told him to bring me a couple crabs um, for the gumbo. And so he did, along with a birthday card from my granddaughter and a cake uh, from them as well for my birthday. And so we was just there having a good time, um, just eating gumbo and talking and laughing. And Oscar had, you know, told me that he was going to go to San Francisco to watch the fireworks and that they were going to drive. And I said, no, you're not going to drive. Because as a mother, I don't want my child out there driving when I know that on New Year's there is a lot of drunk driving drivers out there on the road. And also he was over the age. If he wanted to drink, he could drink. But I didn't want him out there driving if he drank and you know, with the possibility of hurting someone else by getting in an accident or anything. So I told him, no, you're not going to drive. Go ahead and take BART and then come back on BART. And so he was like, okay, mom, whatever, if you say so. So he went out to take Bart, as you know, I instructed him to do him and his fiance and a few of his friends. They went to San Francisco, um, watched the fireworks on the way back. Um, they said that there was something that happened on the train. And so police came and he started calling this one officer, Officer Peroni, who we are now trying to get charged, came and he was acting like... He had no self-control. He was acting like a wild man. He came over to the train with this taser out, instructing young men to get off the effing train. Um, and he was pointing his taser. You know, witnesses said that he was just going out of his mind. And they didn't know why he was acting the way that he was acting. So Oscar was one of the young men that he called off the train. Oscar got off the train and uh, he told Oscar and a few of the other young men to get against the wall. So they got against the wall and one of Oscar's other friends he saw on the train. So he ran into the train and grabbed him out by the neck and threw him down by his dreadlocks. And so and when he testified, he said he was doing a takedown move. And so when Oscar saw him doing that to his friend, he stood up and said, hey, you can't do that. We need to talk to somebody in charge. And by this time, after Oscar said that, he got up, he ran over the Oscar and punched him. Wow. And Oscar lifted up his hands and slid down the wall. 
And so Oscar, he got out his cell phone because his uh, fiance was calling him and he, she, he told her, hey, they're beating us up here. I don't know what's wrong with this guy, you know. And so because she had went to the restroom after they got off the train. And so the other police officer came on scene and they told and he told him to arrest Oscar's friend and then that they were going to arrest Oscar. Me, you know, really, they had no reason to arrest them. They had no reason to stop them. There was nothing going on when the officer came to that scene to see what was going on. There was nothing. There was no fight. There was no arguing. There was nothing. And yet this officer still chose to um, escalate a situation that didn't need to be escalated. And so in the process of that, the other officer coming, Oscar had his cell phone out and he was talking to his girlfriend. The other officer came and was had his taser out. And so Oscar's last picture on his phone was that officer tasing him. I mean, pointing the taser at him. Wow. That's the one who ended up shooting him. Um, and so they threw Oscar to the ground. They had him on the ground. The other officer who escalated everything had his knee on Oscar's neck. Oscar's telling him, I can't breathe. I can't breathe, but he still applied pressure. The other officer stands up, pulls out his gun, and shoots and kills, shoots Oscar in the back. And later at the hospital, Oscar was pronounced dead. Now, you know, that officer tried to say that he didn't know the difference between his taser and his gun. But if you look at the picture, he just had his taser out. And so now all of a sudden, not even 10 minutes, not even five minutes, not even three minutes later, he's confused. And so they tried to say when they shot Oscar that they thought he had a gun. And when they found out and realized, oh, no, he didn't have a gun. So then they tried to say that he was resisting arrest. So that didn't work because people testified and shared that he wasn't resisting arrest. So then that's when they came up with the officer taser confusion. So that was the best thing that they could come up with. But I know that that officer shot and killed my son and he sure should have went to jail longer than 11 months in the county jail. If it was you or I doing something, we would be in jail for much longer than uh, 11 months. And so, you know, it's just so heartbreaking to me to have this officer do only 11 months in a county jail and be free with his family where my son is dead and not going to never be able to be with his family. And, and and that's crazy too. And what I've learned too through my research is that he was able to keep his pension. Absolutely. His pension, he was able to really not have to go on probation or felony probation. And he still had an option after a certain amount of years to carry a gun again. Whereas if you or I, you know, we would probably still be in jail. Okay. We would not be able to carry a gun again. And we would have gone on probation. 
and it's it's, it's kind of eerily similar to Mir Rice when the officer killed Tamir Rice, and he what was it? Uh, was it a couple of months later he was able to become a police in a different department? Yes, and I think he even got a promotion for that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and it's it's just crazy where there's no accountability, and again, Absolutely. from what you're telling me is that everyone's just trying to cover their behind mm-hmm. instead of trying to find out the truth mm-hmm. and find out the truth. Meaning again, there's something wrong with the department itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. Oftentimes they don't want to uncover uh, their wrong and they don't want to admit they're wrong. But then if we look at how the policing system was founded, And if you go back in history and you see how the same police that was uh, back in the civil rights movement and even before that were the same ones who would tase, well, not tase, who would water hose, who would allow the dogs to uh, attack the people, who would arrest the people and put them in jail, would be the same ones who would take them out, take them in the backwoods and hang them or whip them. And so our policing system is founded on that. And we have to come up with a way to change our policing system and rebuild it by tearing it down. And it's, it, and it goes back to a lack of uh, accountability. You know, if you don't Absolutely. put them, if you don't uh, um, put them to a high, if you put them on a high regard of protecting the people, and if they mess up, you know, you have to put their feet to the fire. Because mm-hmm. if not, you create this system where it's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we have allowed it to be acceptable for so long that they know oftentimes that they could get away with it. They could say the same narrative. Oh, he was reaching for something. I thought he was going for a gun. He was resisting arrest. I fear for my life. And then that becomes their, uh, ali- not alibi, but that becomes their, uh, their saying to get them not charged for what they've actually done. And it, and it's just crazy. And it goes back to like what we were talking before about qualified immunity. That's one thing that has to be on the table and it has to be discussed because with qualified immunity, that gives them the benefit of the doubt. If they say, oh, I fear for my life. If you don't have that videotape or eyewitnesses, nine out of 10, they're going to go with the word of the officer. Absolutely. And, you know, even though we had the six videotapes and it was really Oscar's case was really the spark of a movement um, that during that time and they they um, they moved the trial to L.A., and we only had one African American on the juror on as a juror because they were scratching them all out. But in that time period, um, people were still believing an officer over a citizen. Yeah. And I think many of us have been trained that way to believe that the officer is always right and the community is wrong. And we always say, well, what did that person do? That person had to do something. When in reality, 
that person didn't have to do anything in order to lose their life, you know. And Oscar, when he lost his life, he wasn't resisting. He wasn't fighting. He wasn't running. He didn't have a gun, but yet he still lost his life. And the officer was able to come up with, uh, a, you know, come up with his uh, fabricated lie. Oh, I, I, I was confused. I didn't know my gun from my taser. Any officer who doesn't know their gun for, from their taser should not be officers in the first place. Uh, and I totally agree with that. And um, a year, you know, today's one year after the DA decided to not um, press new charges on the the officer who instigated. Um, talk about that. So the district attorney, she decided not to press charges after uh, she said that she know what Peroni did, but statute of limitations has went out. So the dis so our attorney general, which is Rob Bonta, has picked up the case. And so they're looking into it to come up with the decision if they're going to press charges. You know, we have told him, uh, one of the persons who really works and, and helps represent Oscar uh, wrote a 45 page uh, from start to finish of what occurred during that time to help them. Um, and they said they have boxes of stuff to go through before they can make a determination. But if you look at the video and you see what happened, that officer Peroni, who had his knee on Oscar's neck should be charged just like Meserly was charged. If you or I do something, there was a time where if I didn't even do the act, but you did the act, I would be charged too. And so he should be charged just as well as Meserly was charged and not only charged, but sent to jail, you know? And so um, we're fighting, we're working with the attorney general to uh, make a decision on charging that officer. And over these years, how have you able to cope with your mental health? Because I know it has to be a struggle losing, you know, losing your child as well as going through these hula hoops of getting justice for your son. If it wasn't through prayer, if I didn't have a relationship with God, I'd probably be in a mental institution. But from that, from my prayer life, my meditation, my ex trying to exercise and not eat the wrong things. Well, I have been, but try trying not to eat the wrong things, but to eat the right things um, has really helped. And doing uh, community work has also helped as well because it gives me a joy to see um, us being able to give scholarships, seeing our basketball team be able to play, being able to give school supplies, being able to bring mothers from all across the country over to California and pampering them for the weekend and hosting the galas and the visuals. Those things help me to continue to fight and to continue to work to help other mothers and fathers who are facing similar situations as I'm facing. And then also about his, his daughter as well as his, um, his, um, Fiance. fiance, yes. Yeah. So I was with his daughter the other day. She's beautiful. She's uh, 18 now. Um, she just had a son. Um, and they're doing great. Um, I always tell her she's going to be an activist for him. Um, and she always smiles. 
So, but she's there with me for all the events and everything. And she's doing great. She, of course, misses her dad. She wishes he was, you know, here to be, you know, a part of her life and to be in her life. And since he's not, um, it's been hard for her, but we try to keep reminding her and sharing many memories that he had with her, as well as other memories that he had of his own, you know, because Oscar was a person who loved to help people. Not only did he love to help people, but he supported and protected his friends. And so in that process, he, you know, loved his daughter so much. Um, he would spend a lot of time with her. I never forget when his, uh, when Sophina was pregnant, he put flags on his car and wrote down with the flags that it's a girl, it's a girl, it's a girl after she had, you know, he loved his daughter and that was his world. Uh, his family was his world. He loved to spend time with his family. He loved to buy gifts for his family and to be there with his family. And that shows the type of person he he, he was when he was alive. Um, but talk about him as a child. Like how was how was Oscar as a child? So Oscar was a young man who was very quick to learn. I'm gonna have to move. He was very yeah. quick to learn, and he was a young man who played sports. He um, attended high school. He later got his GED. He was he wanted to be a Barbara. Okay. And so in that process, he was saying that he wanted to move to a city that was not too far from us okay. and uh, practice barbering, but he didn't get that opportunity. Oscar was a very quick learner. He, uh, whatever you showed him, uh, if he saw you do it a couple times, he would be able to do it himself the next time. He loved to help people. Um, even during his work at the grocery store, uh, many of the people that he encountered there would, has come to the visual and shared different stories. You know, one of the stories that uh, a young man showed, he was an older gentleman, came and shared. When he saw us, he started crying because he said he had not met such a compassionate, respectable gentleman as Oscar. He said he was going out the store and Oscar said, here, let me push the basket for you. And so Oscar was pushing the basket for him. Oscar put his his groceries into his car, you know, and Oscar was like, is there anything else I could do for you? Anything, you know, and he, Oscar left that impression on him. And so he said he had to come out to the visual just to share that, you know, and even the young lady, you know, people say, well, maybe that's a made up story. Even the young lady who um, didn't know how to cook fish, Oscar was at work. He called my mom's house and we're on the phone, my mom and I on a conference where we have it on conference. We're on the phone trying to help this young lady pick out fish, telling her how to cook the fish, you know, and Oscar didn't know her, but she was just a customer asking questions. And so that was an impact that he placed on her life as well. And so Oscar was that type of person. If you needed something and Oscar could help you, he would get it for you. You know, one last story was, you know, we was living in San Leandro and Oscar door had, his room had a sliding door that you could go out on the balcony. And so one time I came home and it was so cold 
And I'm like, why is it cold? And so I go into his room and the sliding doors cracked. But there's a cord that's going out the sliding door. So I'm like, what is this for? So I just unplugged the cord, threw it outside and shut the sliding door and locked it and went into my room. So a few minutes later, somebody was knocking on the door. And I go to the door, I said, yes. And they said, is Oscar home? I said, no. And they began to tell me that they didn't have any PG&E. And Oscar was allowing them to plug up so that they could at least have their refrigerator on so that their food wouldn't spoil. And it also gave them a little bit of light. And I was like, oh. And so I said, okay, thank you. So I plugged it back up for them. So, but when Oscar got home, I said, excuse me, who's paying this PG&E bill? You know, and I began to tease him. I said, what are you doing using my PG&E bill for somebody else? And he was like, mom, they didn't have no PG&E. So I let them use ours, you know? And so that's the type of person was Oscar was. If he could help you with something, he would help you. And, and that's the crazy thing about it is that Oscar saw the humanity in everyone. And, and the tragedy at, at that night is that officer, those two officers didn't see humanity in him. And, and, you know, and you're right. And even though Oscar was telling his friends, you know, be quiet, follow the directions. We're going home. Just don't say nothing. Just be quiet. You could hear Oscar over and over telling his friends that, you know, people testified to that, you know, people testified that he was like, man, just be quiet. Let's, you know, let's, we'll be out of here in a minute. And never did he even think in a million years, probably that he was not going to be the one to get out of there, but all his friends were, you know, um, the, the, the witnesses, you know, how they testified, you know, that Oscar, you know, wasn't resisting. He was being respectful, you know, he wasn't trying to fight the police, but yet he ended up losing his life senselessly at those that are hired to protect and serve. And then really they don't even get punished for their actions. Yeah. And it, and it's crazy. And then also when he was alive, did he have a relationship with with his father? Cause I, or. Um, his, him and his father, they, they didn't have a real tight relationship he would uh, speak to, you know, his father every now and then. Um, his father ha was incarcerated at that time. Um, and so he didn't get to talk to him a lot. Um, but they would write sometimes and his father would call him sometime and speak with him. And then, like, what was the father reaction when he heard that his son was killed? He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. You know, he's out here, you know, in the streets now fighting, you know, to get justice for Oscar as well as I am. Wow. And, and it's just, and then uh, in the background, I see the poster of the, the movie. Uh, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, talk about that experience. Um, what did you think of uh, Michael B. Jordan's work um, playing your son? So and the whole, I, everything around it. So the movie, the the filming of the movie, the um, being in the movie myself, um, just working with them, providing them with the information was very, very uh, 
uh, a, a real training experience, a real learning experience for me of what it really takes to be an actor or actress. Um, and so um, with Michael, it was, and the rest of the crew, uh, spending time with them, getting to know them. But he was really trying to get to know Oscar, him and Ryan Coogler, so that they could make the story as much as they can about Oscar, you know, without having to add uh, a lot of different pieces. And so um, we spent a lot of time together. I spent time with Octavia because she played me as well. Um, and we would talk. Um, she would. I would share different stories about Oscar with her. Um, shared them with Michael. Michael would go around Oscar's friends and hang out with them, go to the park where they was at, go to their house and kick it with them as well, him and Ryan Coogler. And so it was a very, very good um, experience for me. Uh, I, Michael, he really uh, got to know Oscar and embodied Oscar and really played Oscar very, very well. Um, I believe that was his breakout session um, okay. that a lot of people really didn't know him then. I know he was playing in other like soap operas and stuff, but they really didn't know him. When he played Oscar, it was his breakout moment. And that really allowed him to flourish in his career. And uh, and even for, you know, Ryan Coogler, the same, you know, that was something that allowed them both to flourish Um in their careers and I always say you know that you never can forget where you started off you know because it's so important to always remember that and always stay humble you know when you have you know a success um or a breakout um in your life you know so but it was a it was a good uh training for me um, I got to play the child care provider in the film um, and work with them. So it was it was a real a real good uh, learning for me and a real good memory. There was parts that was very hard. Right. Even dealing with the officer, that was the movie was kind of right. hard for me, you right. know. Um, it was just really like a, a, not scary, but just. I don't know, just bringing up a whole bunch of different feelings during that time. And right. even, and it was just the movie, you right. know, so, but it was something that I had to kind of like get used to right. and really, you know, this is only the movie. This is not what really happened, you know, right. but um, it was um, definitely an experience for me. But what part of the film, like I, that got you, that got you emotionally, like, like that got you like, like it was like that mirror reflection, like, and it just, it kind of like broke you down to tears. Was there a part in the movie? The part in the movie that really broke me down is when Oscar lifted up his head when he was on the pavement wow. and I want to say that because I was saying before, I said, I wonder was Oscar thinking about me when he was shot? I, I wonder was he praying, you know? I wonder what was going through his mind when he was on the platform and then, you know, saying that you shot me. 
um, you know, I, I, I still see that, you know, today, and I probably will always see that, um, his face. And I tell my sister, I said, you know what? They said that he was still alive when they took him to the hospital. But I was telling, I always tell my sister, I said, I think he was really transitioning right there on the pavement, you know, even before they pronounced him dead at the hospital. Um, I, I always uh, think about that and, um, you know, uh, just unnecessary. He was taken, his life was taken unnecessarily. And, 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 it's, and it's crazy that it's taken 13 years to get justice for your son. Um, but at the same time, it's like his legacy lives on through the the nonprofit organization for yep, the, the Oscar Grant Foundation. Yes. Like, yes. like the basketball no, we, team. And, yeah, and, we, you know, we have the basketball team. You know, it's almost 40 different students because we've got three teams now and uh, sometimes four teams. And then we have our scholarships, our yearly scholarships. So and one of the goals is to be able to really get a student and be with them throughout their tenure through college, but also not just to be with them, but to be able to give them a full ride. So that's something that they don't have to worry about that whole four years of their schooling. You know, um, you know, we look at the scholarships and the people that we work with, you know, and we see their faces, you know. Um, I, I, I have some, there's some good young men who have went through the scholarship program. Um, we have one right now, Jafari, who's in New York. He's uh, going to uh, law school in New York. You know, um, we had another one who went to a prestigious school in Virginia. And so we are so grateful that we could help the students, you know, go through the universities. May not be much that we give them, but I think any little bit helps, you know, as they go uh, to school and stuff. And so, you know, one of our goals, um, this coming up year is to have a building, be able to have that building, have some computers and stuff in that building for our students so they could come in and work on computers, come in, get their homework, you know, uh, help with their homework um, so that we can really be the nation of people that we have been designed to be. It's too far where we're so far behind and we have got to come up with ways to begin to gain leverage and become and come up then and not just be the two percent at the bottom yes. but bring us up to you know uh half percent 50 percent or 75 percent we gotta work to do that for our youth and i and i love what you're doing and then also one of the favorite parts of the organization is that you have a, a part for mental health and i think that's vital for black men and black women because of the trauma we deal with and our our, our, our struggle to trust people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we, we have really been working with mental health because a lot of people don't understand, you know, what our people go through. And a lot of people don't understand what a lot of these young men have seen. When Oscar was killed, and his friends was on that platform and they saw him get shot. They saw the blood. They saw him say, you shot me. They saw him not being able to breathe. They saw all that. You know, when they closed their eyes at night, that's what they were seeing. 
they wasn't seeing a nice, sweet dream. No. That that traumatized them. Yeah. And so because of that being traumatized, we looked at it as we tried to set up, have a group session. And one of the things we realized that they were trying to cope with that hurt, that uh, what they saw by drugs, by alcohol, you know, just they were trying to cope with it the best way that they knew how. And so we said that we would start a uh, have meetings regarding mental health to talk about the real problems that our children suffer and face that they never, ever talk about and they vow not to talk about. And so we believe that if we can help by, you know, really talking about it, allowing a space for you to come into. And if you want to cry, you could cry. If you want to yell, you could yell. If you need to cuss, you could cuss. But we want that space, right? So that you can relieve some of the weight and pressure off of, you know, your shoulders. And so uh, partly, you know, partly having that and also really letting police know, hey, don't just shoot, you know. Some of our people are having mental health issues and we want them not to call the police. You know, we want families not to call the police, but to call an alternative number. So in uh, Contra Costa, California, um, a young man by the name of Miles Halls was killed by the police. There was his his family had called the police. They told him that he was having a 5150, that he needed assistance. And so when the police came, they told the family, oh, yeah, yeah, we know Miles because his mom had already set it up that, you know, let them know that he was mental and everything else. And when the police came, instead of them trying to de-escalate the situation, uh, they said Miles had something in his hand. And then, of course, we know the rest of the story. They saw it. They shot. They killed Miles. And then... You know, now another mother doesn't have a child because this child was having a breakdown and didn't have the proper people to come assist him. And so what they've done is you can call a number is what they're working on to have this number you call instead of the police as an alternative. And so that's the goal to be able to get that for our people, because so many of our people is walking around with imbalanced uh, emotions and they don't know how to cope. And then the police do not know how to handle the situation. And I tell people, you know what? The police are not trained to handle that anyway. That's not their job. You know, when the officer testified on the stand uh, regarding my son, he says, we're hired to shoot to kill. And that's exactly what they do. And so we have to begin to not only police the police, but police our communities and help our people by offering them some programs and alternatives, you know, as they're going through their challenges that they're facing. And and I totally agree with you 100%. And it's, it goes back to being vulnerable, um, showing our young men and young ladies it's okay to be vulnerable. And the one thing I learned about vulnerability, vulnerability to me is to act knowing that our existence are interdependent, we are together. Because mm-hmm. when we share 
like you did with me today. You shared. Um, and I, I, I truly, truly, truly in, enjoyed this conversation with you because you are one of my role models because just just a shining light of uh, inspiration to just keep going. Um, before we end this amazing conversation, what do you want to say to uh, parents um, out there that, you know, you know, hopefully doesn't go through the trauma that you went through? So there's a couple of things that I would want to say to parents. One is to really love your child unconditionally. No matter what our society says, love your child. God allowed you to have that child for a reason. And you have to love your child even through the bad as well as the good. Because our society has taught us to throw away our children, to when they turn 18, they're grown, get them out of the house, you got to go. When, if you look at other nationalities, when their child is 30, they're still at home, okay? And so we have really got to know how to love our child unconditionally through the good and through the bad. We have got to formulate that relationship with our child and let them know that it's okay to be vulnerable with me. You're in a safe space. And then after that, as we do that, it's okay to watch our children's behavior signs because some of our children don't just become uh, affected by mental health challenges. It is a process of them going through it and then pretty soon it escalates. So, you know, when your child, watch the behavior of your child. When your child begins to tell you, hey, there's 35 people talking to me over here or something, begin to monitor that and watch that and begin to work to get the child the counseling, the uh, help that the child needs, you know, so that the child doesn't have to end up going to jail because that's what they do to them when they see a lot of mental health patient, they take them right to jail or either, you know, make sure that that child is getting the treatment that he or she needs so that they can be that productive citizen in our society. And and that's, I couldn't say it better than that. Um, how can um, people help? Like, Last, what, where, how can they reach you? How can they reach so you? So lastly, they could go to the Oscar Grant Foundation. Um, and they could send in a request. I do a lot of speaking engagements all over the states. So if anyone you know ever needs to, someone to come and do a speaking engagement, um, they can go through the webpage, oscargrantfoundation.org, and they can put a request in, and then my executive assistant will get back uh, to that person um, to let them know, you know, to find out what they're actually looking for. Um, if you need us to come and do um, mental health sessions, you know, we're available to do that as well. You know, if you need us to, also we've expanded. I have several pastors on our board and who works with the foundation. So there are times where people lose their loved one and they don't have a pastor or someone who could do the funeral. So our foundation is equipped and has people 
in the foundation who can actually carry out a funeral. I have done some, you know, myself, but so have the other people that is part of the foundation where we go in and we walk that family through the loss of their loved one and then work to uh, help them to go through the whole process from the death to the burial, you know, and so that's one of the things that we do as well. And so you can look us up again on the Oscar Grant Foundation, www.oscargrantfoundation.org. And all that, uh, uh, the link will be in the description below. Thank you so much. It was truly an honor and a privilege to spend time to talk to you. And now I know Oscar a lot more from this interview. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. All right, guys, we're out. Peace. All right. Have a great day. So for you, yeah, yo. There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, he but that or I'm behind you But always got you, end of discussion, nothing means more First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a partake, cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you but still in all give you every advantage I found couldn't find a better fit for them along with my crown and since the baton was passed I've been down cause failing's not an option and dad is not a noun not at all my message to any dad man first off know that yeah it, it is a hard job but it's the greatest job in the world I wouldn't trade it for anything I wouldn't change anything about it everything you're doing from here on out if it didn't have purpose before, now it has purpose. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. Just be a dad.